Under the Dome Radio, the full fan feedback discussion for Season 2, Episode 7, Going Home. Recorded August 13th, 2014. Whether you're listening while driving around, working out at the gym, or just sitting around like Lyle, eating, sleeping, and saying Melanie... We thank you for tuning in for another episode of Under the Dome Radio. This is the unofficial podcast and blog by and for fans of CBS TV's Under the Dome. It's episode 37 already. The show notes and links, anything we're talking about tonight, check it out at underthedomeradio.com slash 37. And we want to hear your feedback for next week's full discussion episode. Please visit underthedomeradio.com slash feedback. And as always, Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network and is sponsored by the affiliate links at underthedomeradio.com. Be sure to check it out for anything you want to buy from Amazon, even pre-order season two of Under the Dome on Blu-ray and DVD. And me, I'm Wayne Henderson, your voice acting, podcasting, Green Bay Packers fan. And one quick question, Troy, Dome Day Esta, Casa de Zenith? Ah, like Dome Day Esta, Casa de Zenith. I like that. That's good. I'm Troy Heinrichs. I'm actually wondering if Sully or Mike Wazowski is coming to the dome this season and they'll make a special appearance with all these secret doors that are showing around. But either way, if that doesn't happen, just remember Roz is always watching, always (laughs) watching whether she's in the dome or not. We have no idea. (laughs) I'll keep my eyes peeled, Troy. Well, we're going to have our breaking news segment, as always, where we talk about dome related news and some exciting things for the United Kingdom. Very excited to share this news coming up in that segment. Also, we'll go on the air and talk about our favorite things that we liked about going home. Then on location where we have some interesting theories and some fan outcry as we have our lost comparisons that people aren't too happy with this week. And in our investigative reporting section, we actually share an interview that our fellow sister newspaper, because of course, all the media here in Chester's Mill is owned by Big Jim Corporation. And because of that, we want to share that interview with you. So we'll have a link to that in our show notes at underthedomeradio.com slash 37 for that special interview. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that during investigative reporting. And then, of course, requests and dedication. We have some shout outs coming all the way from Japan that we'll share with you later on in the episode. That's the beauty of podcasting. You can reach anybody that has an Internet connection of any sort. It's good stuff. I can't wait. But first, the breaking news. What is the latest going on with Under the Dome in the news? Well, the director for this episode going home was David Barrett, and it was written by Peter Calloway. And the overnight viewers are ticking upward once again. We got 6.9 million viewers this week, but that's not the big story. The big story is that DVR is still the place to be. Now, we all can pretty much agree that Force Majeure episode three is probably the best episode of Dome so far this season. And the DVR numbers prove that out because they added an additional 4.33 million viewers to bring the total for that episode up to just shy of 12 million, which is a 57% increase. But more importantly, it added 1.3 points in adults 18 to 49 and 1.6 rating points in 25 to 54. That's a 68 and 64% increase in those key demographics of people that buy stuff. That's the important thing. And that's just because of the DVR numbers being factored in? That is correct. Most people are watching the Dome second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh day, 
not necessarily watching it live Monday nights. It's on late. It's tough, you know, but uh, the big news is that under the dome was the week's top program in viewers for the week that this episode three aired in both the adults, 25 to 54 and adults, 18 to 49. And it also posted the week's highest lift in viewers because of the DVR in both of the key demographics. So DVR is where Dome's at. And this is proof positive that the entire ratings system needed a revamp and maybe still some more tweaking. But the fact that you just can't go by Nielsen live ratings, I mean, that would have killed under the dome a long time ago. This is great news. But that's not the only best news this week. There's more news actually coming from across the pond, Wayne. What's going on over there? Well, the UK has been clamoring on Twitter. When are we getting season two? When are we getting season two? When are we getting season two? And Channel 5 is like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Maybe this summer, maybe the fall. Well, Channel 5 over in the UK has finally set the date for the second season premiere of Under the Dome. It will actually be on August 25th at 10 p.m. local time there in the UK. So I know all of our UK fans are jumping for joy now because even though they've been listening to the podcast, they can actually listen and watch and view the awesomeness that we've all been experiencing thus far. I think it'll help make the podcast make a lot more sense. And Monday, August 25th, great day. We'll be celebrating Regis Philbin's birthday and Gene Simmons's birthday from Kiss. So that's a perfect day to start off season two of Under the Dome in the United Kingdom. I'm going to need Under the Dome that night because that's the first day my kids go back to school. Oh, yeah. you. <laughs> I think you should rewatch, do a rewatch along with the folks in the UK. Well, that's the news for this week. Let's go ahead and look at how we felt about going home, Wayne. And I know that you were saying that you were a little bit down on this episode at first. So change your mind at all after the rewatch? I've softened my opinion a bit, and I did like it better than last week's episode. So, yeah, there were more positives than negatives. And on our initial reactions podcast the other day that, uh, you thought I was just railing against everything in the episode, just the things that stood out in my initial reactions, but there's a lot more to it. And that's why we're going to talk about on the air. Well, where do you want to start tonight, Wayne? Well, I think it's just really something that we need to keep in the back of our minds or in the forefront. The fact that Jim in this episode reminded junior, basically I, I first, I thought he was saying all the Rennies are special, but it seemed more like he's just saying that he's special. <laughs> and maybe by default, some of that will rub off on Junior. Well, and the big question is, is is he still preaching the the dome chose me? And I really love the conversation that the two of them have with each other. Junior's like, how come it's always about you, dad? You know, why can't it be about mom or about me or somebody else? It's always about what's the best thing for Big Jim? And I think maybe in this scene, Big Jim was trying to actually reach out to his son in a little bit of a way but junior just wasn't ready to listen to it. Right. It was kind of a feeble attempt at reaching out, but that was a pivotal question of junior asking that because I'm sure that almost everybody else in Chester's mill has been thinking it at one point or another since the dome came down. And some of them from even before the dome came down, why is it always about you, Jim Rennie? Well, he is the boss of the town because he is the man because Barbie and Julia have disappeared. And Big Jim has no idea where they've gone. And nobody alerted him, which I could see not alerting him. But once 
somebody disappears down a semi-bottomless pit down to a playground in another dimension or wherever Zenith is. <laughs> I just think that maybe Big Jim should have at least been told about it. It would probably be helpful just because that way he can plan and scheme and do whatever he needs to do. Oh, wait, he does that anyway. So it doesn't really matter <laughs> if he knows. He does always have a plan, much like our friend Benjamin Linus on Lost Big Jim in a different way. He, he is a quick reactor and he's got, you know, connections and people doing things for him. So uh, he's definitely going to play into this or he's going to have this play into something he's got planned. And I bet we find out this coming week. Well, let's stay with Big Jim. Overall, throughout the course of the season thus far, how happy are you that we're seeing the Big Jim that we've grown and known to love from the book? Or the Big Jim that we've grown to hate from the book? I am actually pleasantly surprised because, like you touched on in initial reactions, there were signs of the super devious and dark big Jim. I mean, not only when he was talking to junior a little bit, but also when he was in Rebecca Pine's house and threatening her, that is the big Jim that's in the novel by Stephen King. Yeah. I'm, I was really shocked that he just kind of let himself into Rebecca's place. That was the first thing that kind of crossed my mind of, okay, number one, how did you get in? Secondly, you know, how threatening can you be without being able to hold yourself back? I thought that was really well acted this week by Dean Norris, because he was just towing that line. He was, I was almost waiting for either a shank or a golden baseball or something to come on out and totally take out this one nice, naive science teacher that seems to be changing ways herself as well. In fact, I was so sure as soon as that scene started to play out that Jim was going to kill the science teacher that I already had it in my show notes. I thought, you know, once it didn't happen, I'm like, okay, let me backspace a few spaces and take that out. But I thought for sure she was a goner. And I do think she's going to be a goner fairly soon because Big Jim did give her one last chance. Don't ever cross me again. So let's talk about the science teacher then this week. She's helping Julia try to figure things out. How do you like the transition from I'm ready to wipe out the town to yeah, surely, Julia, I'll be sure to help protect the town from Big Jim. Although I do think it happened a lot sooner than it would in real life. I mean, come on, we're trapped underneath a dome that we don't know where it's from. I think it's it just doesn't seem authentic is a term I, I'd like to, to use. I will find it hard to believe if they really become best buds, because I just think that Rebecca Pine is basically using Julia. Is, is my vote. Oh, I didn't even read it that way. That's a really good observation. Is she trying to side with Julia, but at the same time still kind of keep herself in line with Big Jim so that maybe at the end when the two of these end up killing each other, then she comes out on top. Yeah, and whoever is left standing, she can kind of side with. And let's face it, all of the things that especially the past two episodes have started happening with the underground tunnel and now the cliff and who knows where it goes. This is all very sciencey on the fringe kind of stuff. So you know that she is just full bore into it because if she can find a way to explain this, then she is the king of the science teachers. So the cliff itself and talking about sciencey and tech and all that good stuff what a great way to bring back the good old Microsoft Surface tablet in order to watch video, 
from a supposed Amazon uh, drone that's going to deliver packages all the way to Zenith. I know you had some qualms with this scene. Why don't you talk a little bit about what irked you? Well, I'm going to pull back a little bit on it. it. I mean, it's kind of absurd. We know that Joe is supposed to be almost a genius child. And of course, he's the teacher's pet of the science teacher. And evidently, even though Chester's Mill is a fairly small town, they have a fairly advanced robotics program there at the school. And I was thinking that he was just going to have one with big, like, monster truck tires that would go down on a rope. I didn't know he was going to actually have a remote control hovercraft type of vehicle. But I'm going to use the old willing suspension of disbelief and just go with it. The, the part that I'm having the most trouble with is the fact that even... Though it was for a split second and they had to freeze one single frame of the footage. The fact that that hovercraft was able to transmit a signal from wherever Zenith is, is pretty amazing. Well, I guess that's the question of what the mystery of the portal or wormhole or whatever you want to call it is inside the tunnel is could you exist in both places at the same time? And that's how the video transmission was able to happen. I have a feeling that's the direction they're going to go. So I'm going to go along for the ride with it. What the heck? So is it a portal? Is it a teleporter? Is it something energy related in order to make that transition from Chester's Mill over to Zenith? That's a good question. There's a lot that plays into it, and I don't know if we're ever going to get a full answer, but the fact that after Barbie was pulled down, you know, he was kind of floating and all of a sudden the rope broke and he was pulled basically when he got to the playground in Zenith, he wasn't just laying there. Didn't we actually see him kind of fall at least a few feet down and crash land into the playground? Yeah. And that's the big question is what we didn't see was how he materialized on the other side. Did he materialize on the ground or did he materialize at the top of the slide and slide down? (laughs) (laughs) Or did he materialize in thin air and just kind of like fall six feet and then land that face first on the dirt? I kind of got the impression that it, that he fell at least a few feet. The amazing part was after he got up and dusted himself off, he didn't stop off and ride the swing set for a little while because that would be what I would do. The more amazing part was the people that were sitting there in the park going, Hey, look, there's a caveman that just appeared out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Is that because of his perfectly groomed beard that they would think he's a caveman? I'm glad that at least somebody reacted to him as he was walking down the street because of the blood and stuff on his face. Like maybe he had Ebola that's been going around. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of that going around. And perhaps Zenith is safe from that type of stuff. I don't know. But yeah, definitely somebody reacted to that. And he's kind of looking at it. Oh, yeah, I should probably clean that up. So that's when he decides to actually go to his house. And this is the one thing that I didn't quite pick up on before Maxine's goons came in, but he looked at that picture of his like army buddies Mm -hmm. and the one guy looked like it was one of his army buddies. So was it the army buddies or was it just a lookalike that kind of looked like one of the army buddies? I was trying to grapple with that because obviously it's a slightly older photo. I think it was at least one of the army buddies. I I, I know the guy you're thinking about. I, I believe Somehow him and Barbie both ended up in Maxine's little militia there somehow. And then the question is, is Maxine's organization, if you remember back in the episode where she was talking about how she has friends on the outside and it was part of this real estate group, is the real estate group now maybe 
anti to whatever Acteon Energy is. So is it two competing things like Widmore Industries versus somebody else when you talk about it in reference to Lost? Or is her little venture maybe a subsidiary of Acteon? Oh, like a conglomerate owning everything. Uh, possibly, or in some sort of uh, mutual agreement to work together. I, I have a feeling that Barbie's dad wouldn't be that shocked about whatever a good old, you know, we can't talk about her underground operations, but what Maxine was up to. Then we have the Hounds of Diana logo on that sign. I still want to figure out if the Hounds of Diana is the backdoor channel or if the Hounds of Diana is competing against Acteon Energy and trying to get the word out that not only is the dome a bad thing, but that Acteon Energy is bad too. Because it seems, especially in a lot of these TV shows, we watch one called Continuum on the Sci-Fi Channel and out of Canada, a really great program and how, especially even the, even the world today, we're talking about corporations having more and more control and taking it away from the government. So is that what the Hounds of Diana is trying to expose is that this Acteon energy is overstepping. I think you're on to that because Hounds of Diana just has the look and feel of a renegade operation of some sort. And who ultimately is the lead dog at the Hounds of Diana? <laughs> Get it? Whoever the head honcho is over there. I wonder if we've met that person yet and exactly what is their plan. So if you actually go over to the Hounds of Diana site, there is some more new information over there. I really like the one blog post with the video where they're talking about what's going on. And it says Acteon Energy is at it again, crapping up the skyline with their new headquarters construction. Here's one of the hounds saying, no, thank you. Leave it to Acteon. When... What our city really needs is affordable housing. They grab a prime downtown site and erect a monument to themselves. No wonder our electric bills just increased. What you probably don't know is that Acteon has their hands in a lot more than just energy. The hounds are watching to see what they claw their way into next. Communications, security, weapons, because the public has a right to know. Very, very interesting stuff from houndsofdiana.com. And since it's basically put out there by CBS and by the show, that's giving us the clear signal that we are not to trust Acteon. And we're definitely going to keep an eye on what they're up to and the monuments they're putting together. Right, because this really makes it sound like, like we were saying, is the meteor, the egg and all that jazz is that truly from outer space? Is that truly a science project from this Acteon Energy Group? Or is it a combination of both in the fact that maybe the dome isn't really from Acteon and the dome is protecting the egg because Acteon wants to get to the egg, kind of like Lex Luthor wants to get to Superman? Aha. Pulling out the old DC Comics, Troy. You know, we got to add a little flair every now and then. Oh, yeah. And, you know, with Batman versus Superman coming out uh, in a year or so, uh, now's the perfect time to start talking about good old kryptonite. But there's definitely new information over at the Hounds of Diana. So please, please go check that out. Obviously, great information. And I love the great tie into it. And I think in this next coming episode, episode eight, we get introduced to the digital character that they were talking about. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays in now that we have this new information about the outside the dome does exist. 
Absolutely. That is something to keep an eye on because the fact that they've teased this quote unquote digital character since around the time of Comic-Con means it's going to be a pivotal part of the show. And like you mentioned last week, it'll almost be like part two of this season is going to be totally different. And right now we might be witnessing the transitional phase. And it's really interesting because another TV show extent, which is an Amblin entertainment production also on CBS on Wednesday nights, they were talking during their episode this last week that extent, it was actually written as a three act story and they just finished act one on that show. So is that the same for under the dome this year? Maybe we are in a two act story where one through seven was getting us kind of reacclimated to Chester's mill and the craziness that is the dome, but really act two is going to be about what's behind the dome. Why is it there? Why is it happening? And then set up this magical war that I kind of been talking about for maybe season three, because the ratings seem like we should get one. I totally agree. I, when you talked about the two different acts, I would, at least on under the dome, there does seem to be a clear transition. It's, not as jarring as this past season of of Once Upon a Time, where the first half of the season was all about basically Peter Pan. Part two was all about the wicked, wicked uh, witch of the West. But there wasn't too much transition between the two. So if that's how it's going to go on here, I at least like the fact that we're getting clues ahead of time and it's not going to be as jarring. So Pauline, Sam and Lyle, let's talk about them for a little bit. Were you shocked at all that? Pauline seemed fairly normal and not acting crazy like everybody thought she was in Chester's Mill. Yes, especially since her husband, who says that he loves her so much, was going to have her put in an institution, even though he changed his mind at the last minute. Uh, I was expecting her to be a lot crazier, but yet it's Lyle who now, after falling off the cliff, going down to Zenith in the playground, Lyle is the one that's, well, he's beyond crazy right now. The poor guy. I don't know if we're going to get our Lyle back. The big question I have was Pauline ever crazy. Was she just kind of spewing out the dome information and nobody really knew what the hell she was talking about, but she was actually sane the whole time. And because Sam is as diabolical as he is, even lying to his sister, potentially, like you said, maybe even wanting to kill his sister because maybe the original four hands needed to die. Because Pauline found Lyle first, did Lyle, did she slip something to Lyle to make him the state that he's in? Maybe as a uh, protection mechanism, knowing that Sam was going to be there soon. So uh, keep keep Lyle from being able to spout too much information. I could see that. I, I can also see that it's really interesting that these three that you mentioned, Sam, Lyle, and Pauline, that's three of the original four hands all together again in the same place, though it's now in Zenith. And if by some chance we get the uh, Melanie back there, we'll have all four of them. And I wonder if just having all four of them out of Chester's mill might be enough to bring the, the dome down. If they could convince the hatchling into joining them over there. Well, if these are the original four hands, Melanie dies. They do whatever they do to her body. But the mini dome is there. So when did the mini dome come? Did the mini dome happen through the original four hands or three hands? And it really wasn't part of the dome itself. So were Sam and Pauline and Lyle working with 
Actaeon Energy, let's say, to protect the egg. Mm, I like that. I, I could see, you know, Actaeon, you know, with the age of Barbie's father, it could go all the way back to that particular time in around 1988 or whatever that they may have started this whole process. And perhaps that is one of the big other secrets that uh, Sam and Lyle made a pact about keeping secret forever. And uh, maybe we finally get to find out some more of these secrets. Crazy stuff ahead. That is for sure. Anything else you want to talk about about this episode before we get into some crazy fan feedback? Um, just briefly, the fact that, uh, you know, we had this pseudo uh, memorial for Barbie, you know, with the candles being lit and all of that. And they don't even have 100% proof that he's dead, but still no mention of our buddy DJ Phil Bushy. Is he dead or is he not? Is he recouping at the hospital in Chester's Mill or are, are we going to just now pretend that he was never there? That's all I wanted to touch on. <laughs> That's because we can't say Dome Jesus or we're all going to go to hell or something. No, yeah, we can't say that. All hail Big Jim. Hallelujah. <laughs> wow. Never. Never. But I'm sure big things are coming for Big Jim in the coming episodes, and we'll be sure to share that in the investigative reporting later on. But first, ratings time. I'm going to let you go first, Wayne, because you were down, and now it sounds like you might be coming back up. Well, a little bit. Um, taking all things into consideration and thinking about it for a few days, rewatching. I'm going to give this one a six out of 10 magical playground landings. Um, that's up quite a bit from last week. That's higher than I thought you were going to go. I'm going to give it 17 dome what? days, <laughs> 17 dome days out of 20, which if you do the math, of course, is about an eight and a half out of 10. I see where you're going there. Okay. Well, that's wow. You were raving about it. I didn't know if you were maybe going to come down a couple of notches after a rewatch, but still 8.5. That's one of the strongest ratings you've had. So going home, a popular episode, Troy. Well, I always said after we read the book that, you know, eight days in the book, I was like, come on, someone's got to happen outside the dome. So the fact that we're outside the dome, finally, this is all new territory. This is why I wanted to watch the show in the first place because this is what the TV show could give us that the book couldn't. And so I think book readers are going to all start either going, Oh, it's not the book and completely give up on the show. Or like me, the book reader is going to be, Ooh, this is all good new stuff. And I wish they would have done this in the book and made it, you know, two volumes long instead of just one. Right. Cause we, we need another 33 hours or so of audio uh, to listen to, or another five pound book to read. But I, I see where you're going with that, where a lot of the stuff, especially this season, is almost like a sequel to the book in a way, or maybe a slightly tweaked version, not necessarily a sequel, but the fact that there's no underground tunnels in the book or Zenith or four hands all over the place and all of that, not to mention all of the action going on in Zenith with the obelisk and hounds of Diana, that this is totally separate from the book. I hope that people don't give up on the show just because like you touched on, but it's not, like the book anymore because basically I think we've covered almost anything from the book that could now be covered. I think it has to be done with the book. Except for the major catastrophe at the end, which may still be coming, but in a different form. We'll see. 
Well, let's go ahead and check out the listener voicemail line. Again, you can call in at plus one nine zero four four six nine seven four six nine or under the dome radio.com slash feedback to record your voice or email in an MP3. Or of course you can just comment on the show notes. Like most of our feedback came in this week. Lots of great discussion happening there, but first to the listener voicemail line, Wayne. Okay. This is Jeff Gentry X force 11. Here's my, uh, your theory. Um, the locker door and the door at the Barbara estate are portals or doors in and out of the dome, kind of like the doors in the Gunslinger trilogy are a set of books. But like the door uh, in the Kala, they require something to have them open. And it seems like Angie's sacrifice of blood on her door, maybe that was what opened the portal out. We already see a handprint. And it was a yellow handprint on the door at the Barber Estate. So I don't know if that's paint or what that is, why it's yellow. Uh, but so maybe there had to be some type of sacrifice to get out of Chester's Mill and out from under the dome. And there had to be some type of sacrifice to get into Chester's Mill. Um, but that may have already been made since there's already handprint there. So... You know, maybe there's something that has to get people in and out. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about Black 13 enabled, uh, you know, them to get out of the door in the Kala and through that door. You know, maybe that's what the egg is on on that side, but maybe there's got to be something on the other side. I don't know, but uh, just call back to the doors in the Dark Tower series. Thanks, guys. Bye. Wow. Jeff Gentry, thank you again for giving us a call at 904-469-7469. Fantastic stuff. And you know what they say, don't eat the yellow handprints, right? Exactly. But I love how he brings up uh, Black 13. For those of you that aren't Dark Tower fans, Black 13 is one of the 13 orbs in the Wizard's Rainbow and each of these orbs has different properties and most of them have been lost over time. But I especially love now that he mentions that how we had the pink rainbow and we had the black rainbow in the book. And of course, now we have a black egg that turns pink. I think it's an amazing catch. And Jeff, I believe you may be onto something with that one. And even if you're not, I love where you're going with that. Great catch. Great call out. And the fact that uh, we... That's the biggest mystery we have on the show right now is the door and the handprint. And like he touched on with Angie saying that maybe the bloody handprint was kind of a sacrifice or a signal to that particular door. Maybe the yellow handprint did uh, something similar on that one. Well, and that goes back to Pauline's painting that she did in the season opener when she put the red blood over the top. We were kind of comparing it to Exodus and the Passover and kind of a signal to the dome to say, leave my son alone, kind of pass over the firstborn kind of thing. But maybe that red splotch was the key to unlocking the back tunnels because that was kind of the signal then that the blood needed to be on the locker in order for the locker to do its thing. I love it. I can't wait to see where they go next with this because that's the big mystery that I want to know about. 
Well, you had put a question out on Twitter and said, were you surprised by Zenith and what we found there? And of course, our good friend Charlotte, a.k.a. Chacha Boshoff in South Africa said that she had just watched it there in South Africa. Total awesomeness, cried, happy, and wowed all at the same time. Barbie has a dad, exclamation point, cannot wait till next week. Thanks so much, Charlotte, for responding to our Twitter question. Again, at UTD Radio Podcast is the Twitter handle. Make sure you're following it and conversing along with all the fellow Domeheads as we chat live Monday nights, even though we all know that you're watching it Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday per the DVR numbers. Yeah, it's tough to sync up with all of those, but we'll do our best. A listener who goes by Lucifer, I left this on the website at underthedomeradio.com. The obelisk, especially the one projected by the egg, is something that annoys me and makes the show more unbelievable and less interesting. Ah, done watching the episode, and I was like, what just happened? Have they gotten out of the dome just like that? And today, I didn't hear Sir Wayne mentioning, quote-unquote, over the top, which, by the way, confused me, is over the top a bad thing or good thing? And I'll just interject real quick. It's just kind of an expression that it's the show might be acting so crazy and things are just so beyond belief. I think over the top could be taken as a good thing or a bad thing, depending on uh, what you're looking at. I kind of meant it as both at the same time, if that makes any sense. Anyway, he continues. Also, I agree with Sir Wayne. Oh, I like that. Um, <laughs> we've had enough eggs for breakfast, and it really annoys me every time they bring it in. Plus the, oh, we are four. Let's vault in. Plus, pink stars are falling, plus the obelisk projection, and of course, plus the we are supposed to protect the egg. My points, one, Zenith is as real as Chester's Mill, existing in the same dimension. The dome, however, is a way to bend distance, just like it may be able to bend time. Take Melanie as an example. Number two, it's easy to believe that there is a conspiracy theory behind the dome Maybe it's a failed experiment or a science physics anomaly. And I think that makes it a little more believable in a sense. But when they bring in the egg, it challenges my theory. Number three, adding Papa Barbie to the picture is cool. But if they're going to say he is part of the Dome's Day event is kind of predictable and uninteresting. If they were going to bring in more and more eggs or even aliens, I will stop watching. Hashtag out from Dome. It's hard to formulate a theory when the writers clearly do whatever they want, even if it doesn't make any sense. What happened to Lyle reminded me of Lost. Ooh, another Lost tie-in. I forgot the episode title, but it, it involves, I think, the scientist who passed through the island, that EMF thingy, something like that. And P.S., I really wanted to record this feedback, but it crossed my mind. I love it when Sir Troy reads comments. It's more believable. Oh, Troy, I should have had you read these. <laughs> That's okay. I think you did a great job this week. <laughs> oh, but, uh, oh, great points there. And I, I forget the exact lost episode title, but I know what he means where when Faraday, he went through the EMF thing and he's just like, uh, just totally distraught. And he was in a similar state to Lyle there. He wasn't muttering Melanie, but he was all shook up and crying and just kind of a basket case. Or those guys that went on and off the carrier in season four, how some of them came back a little demented and threw themselves off the boat because of that same process. If they didn't come in and out at the right compass heading, maybe there was some issue going on there. 
Right. They wrap themselves with chains and jump off the ship. That, yeah, that was a really interesting twist. I like the nickname there of Papa Barbie. I like the nickname Sir Wayne and Sir Troy. You have been duly knighted. <laughs> and maybe it's all in keeping with the monarch uh, theme of the show. That's right. Make sure you show respect. Otherwise, don't cross <laughs> me again. Oh, I love it. Hang in there with the show. I know it's uh, totally off the rails at times, but uh, it, it's entertaining. Let's just leave it with that. It's entertaining. And that's the, the least that we can expect. And if we get a lot of other great stuff, it'll just make it that much better. But at the same time, just watch the fun, man. It is wild. Well, on the lost front, we have a lot of lost this week, actually. And also some fringe as well. Well, Mike at Jovial Falcon on Twitter, that's Jovial underscore Falcon, said that Sam's shaking hand reminded him of David Robert Jones from season one of Fringe. Maybe a little internal damage, possibly. Let's see if Barbie ends up with the same thing. It'll be great to see if they tie in that or if it's something to do with the fact maybe Barbie won't get it because he is originally from Zenith. And so he's kind of immune just by growing up there. And I just thought it was cool that we got a tie back to fringe and David Robert Jones, one of the creepiest characters of any television show. That guy just totally wigged me out all the time. Yeah. If there was ever one bad villain that was awesome, he's one of those bad, awesome villains for sure. I mean, his prison escape alone was pretty spectacular. Very much the same, similar fashion. Mm-hmm. You're and one day, my, next day you're not. <laughs> and who knows where you're going to end up, but it, it was, it was good stuff. Thank you so much for that. Well, a lot of the lost fan base was up in arms over this episode, especially at lost weather guy on Twitter and at oceanic eight one five KC. They took some issue with kind of recreating the iconic scene from a season five making Barbie and Julia very similar to Juliet and Sawyer. How did you feel about the rope and the hanging in the cliff? And well, we already know how you feel about the no, but. (laughs) I think you feel kind of the same way about the no. I thought that that scene, and this is why I didn't mention it on our initial reactions, because I didn't want to derail the whole podcast talking about that for uh, way too long while we let it sink in. But it was beyond paying homage to something cool from lost. It was almost recreating that exact scene with some of the similar verbiage and expressions. And and the fact that Julia and Juliet, similar names, they just switched the, the male and female roles as far as who was down and who was holding them up. I was pretty frustrated. I mean that I was yelling at the TV, like, Oh my goodness, that is the exact scene. And uh, I had a feeling that anybody that saw that, that was also a big Sawyer Juliet fan. There were those that thought that was the best relationship on Lost, that they would definitely feel it even more than I did. How about you? I didn't pick up on it right away because I think the one issue that I'm having right now with Under the Dome is that I came into it assuming that because Jack Bender and Brian Vaughn were tied to it, that it was going to have that same character development and that character connection feel back in season one. And clearly that was evident from the get go that it wasn't going to have the same character association that lost had. I mean, by episode four, man, you were like tied into these people and lost by episode four of dome. You're just kind of like, ah, this is fun to watch. 
And so I'm really excited now that we have some sci-fi and some mystery and some weird corporations and something else other than the characters, because that's what's going to make Under the Dome stick for me a little bit longer, at least, because I know that it's been 17 days, according to the billboard. This relationship is not the same epic romance that Sawyer and Juliet have in season five of Lost. So to it just doesn't play out the same way. Barbie should have just been like, you need to protect Chester's mill. I need to do this. Cut the rope and just grow up and wipe away the tears and move along. Right. You you take those exact things you said and you mix in the fact that, you know, I know there are people that, that love Barbie and love Julia and love the two of them together, but I don't think it's near the percentage of the fan base that loved Sawyer and Juliet together. And so I don't think it plays in that respect either, as far as the number of people that care about those particular two and how not only the fact of how they got together, but uh, with all of that mixed in, when you rewatched it a second time, did you on that viewing notice how much like the Sawyer Juliet scene it was? No, because I immediately just separated the two. I said, I'm not going to let this ruin such a perfect moment and I'm not even going to equate the two to each other. So because you guys all said it looked the same, I made sure I blocked it out of my mind. Okay. Cause trust me, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's almost the whole scene re, just rewritten a little bit. Let's move on then. Well, we got a great Domehead hall of fame page. Yes. If you remember that we do have some awesome Domehead picks out there at under the dome radio.com slash domeheads. And we have a new pick that got sent to us over Twitter from at LOL A L A. R I S C Y. It doesn't really come out to English at all. So that's why I had to spell it for y'all, but uh, she's in a great pick. It was so funny. It made me laugh out loud in the middle of my office today. So we'll make sure to put that up over again at under the dome radio.com slash domeheads. Be sure to check it out. And of course, if you have a picture similar or anything else that's on that page that you'd like to do, we'd be happy to feature it. And of course, tag it to your Twitter account so that the dome heads can follow you and interact with you during the show. Yeah, there's some very creative pictures on that page. The the things that people have seen while they're out and about, and it reminds them of a dome of some sort. So they pose with it. It's good stuff. I really like that dome heads collection. And we'll be sure to add that new photo to that. Well, I want to know what you feel about this next one here, Wayne, because Russ sent us an email this week. And I think he made a really good point. So remember in the season opener around the 40 minute mark, Melanie just kind of passes Angie and completely like as if she's on a different plane of existence, doesn't even think she's there or any way, shape or form. And then she immediately goes to Linda's body between the dome wall and the truck and kind of holds her head and says, I'm sorry. Her character's kind of gone from knowledgeable to ignorant. And he's wondering if that scene's going to be removed either when the episode's repeated, maybe even on the DVD release. And this got me to thinking, I understand where Russ is coming from because Melanie seemed like such a more interesting character in the season opener. Somehow she's in tune with the dome. Somehow she's speaking for the dome. And now it just seems like she's just any other kid, you know, and that kind of mystery about her has gone. So are we going to get back to that at all during the course of act two here in season two? Excellent catch on that one, Russ. I, I, I think it has something to do with, again, going back to, I think, with Stephen King writing the pilot episode this season and perhaps some of the other writing groups just maybe forgetting that aspect of Melanie. 
And I think now that you've thrown it out there, if word gets around, uh, you may be onto something and they may retweak the editing of that first scene or just leave it in there. Hope we don't notice uh, because we all remember. Well, actually, only I remember on Fringe. There was a very important character with important tasks and methods who was brought in on one episode. I think it was early season three. And then all of a sudden she was gone, never to be heard from again, and as if she never existed and they never went back and fixed it. <laughs> oh, I think it's a good catch. And we're just going to have to check out the season two DVDs and Blu-rays and see if uh, that's still that way. Well, it's time for some crazy theories because Anne Sith wrote back in on the show notes at under the dome radio.com slash 36 for the initial reactions. And Ansa said, Acteon Energy, led by Barbie's father, is somehow connected to the appearance of the dome. The dome requires energy to be maintained, so is Acteon powering it? Was there a power surge that caused the magnetization? I can't even say that right. Magnetization. His dad said that getting Barbie back to the dome could ruin everything, implying they are directly involved with the dome project. And I agreed with him on that. I on the initial reactions, I said, Barbie even seems like he knows about it the way he answered his dad. He goes on. I often wondered if the dome was an incubator for the egg. What if, and this is just totally crazy. There are more eggs and the aliens or whoever made a deal with Barbie's father to give him something in exchange for powering and maintaining this dome until the eggs themselves hatched. Perhaps a deal to save his wife from her illness he never actually said that she was dead, did he? I don't remember him saying that she was dead, just that she got sick when Barbie came home. Right. There was a lot of implication there. Now, the portal to Zenith is there underneath the dome to allow access in and out for someone to check on the eggs. Does Barbie's father know about it? He didn't seem curious as to how Barbie actually got out of the dome. It's almost as if he knew. And that red door, can anyone say hatch? Lost? <laughs> My bets for what's behind that door are either A, more eggs waiting to hatch, B, Barbie's mother, or C, like some other people have said, a tunnel back into Chester's mill. But what's with the obelisk? Is it a communication tower? What does Melanie have to do with the eggs? And what is the purpose of her returning? Why is Lyle chanting her name while staring at the obelisk from the window? And the egg clearly wants to go to the obelisk. So I hope they actually take it there once they, Melanie, and the Scooby gang go down off the cliff. Ah, cannot wait till Monday. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Ansith. I think that's some great points there. I really love the aliens making a deal with Barbie to hatch the eggs for some greater purpose. That's awesome. Oh, I did too. As well as touching on that possibly that uh, portal can people can go to and from under the dome in Chester's mill. And I was thinking about it and it makes sense that maybe that could be one of the things to do with that door. Now that it's been mentioned by Anseth, because you can't really go from the playground back up into the sky and somehow catch that magical spot. That'll take you back up to the cliff. If a, uh, say a rope was still hanging down, that direction seems to be a one-way visit, basically. So if they can go back under the dome, and I still am confused. They, they were so vague when Barbie and his dad talked about getting Barbie back to the dome. 
they left it open to interpretation, whether it's just to the dome so he could maybe write notes and hold up his hand again and wave to the people in Chester's Mill, or if his dad actually has a way to sneak Barbie back in. If they go that route, the people at Chester's Mill are going to start freaking out. Well, going back to the playground, and is it only a one-way trip? I'm going to reference one Stephen King's book about magical doors and teleportation called 112263, and maybe the portal back to Chester's Mill is in the playground. You just have to know where the invisible steps are to go ahead and climb back up the ladder. Well... I love 112263. That's my favorite Stephen King book. I'm actually re-listening to the audio uh, book version of it again right now. And I love the thought on that. The, the only problem I have is the fact that it's a playground and so many kids go there. I would think a, another child would accidentally find it if it was like Invisible Steps. Perhaps you need to get on the swing set and ride it back and forth and build up momentum and get as high as you can and then fly off the swing and instead of landing in the sand, you land up on top of the cliff under the high school, under the dome. But only if you go around the top of the bar with a 360 at least once. Uh, then I'm doomed because I'm not going to go quite that far. Well, Anseth, I think you have the best theories this week. So we're going to go ahead and give you the honorary under the dome radio DJ of the week. The Anseth will feature Anseth's uh, theory and link to it in our show notes at underthedomeradio.com slash 37. And remember, if you want to be the honorary Under the Dome Radio DJ of the week, you have to send us an awesome theory, either through the comments on the website, through Twitter, via the voicemail listener line at plus one nine zero four four six nine seven four six nine, or of course, record your own MP3 and go ahead and send it in at underthedomeradio.com slash feedback. And we'd love to hear from you for the next Under the Dome radio podcast. We definitely do. And this week, there were some other really good theories out there. That some of the biggest collection of theories we've had in a while. So that was uh, good on that one. Now, in the investigative report section, I want to start off just by letting everybody know that our friends Doug and Karen over at the Chester's Mill Gazette podcast, who are uh, planning on joining us again for a season review Under the Dome panel at the end of the season, well, they scored an interview with Mackenzie Lentz, who plays Nori on Under the Dome, and they had a really good interview, learned a lot about Mackenzie and how she got the role and other good stuff. So we highly encourage you to uh, check out the Chester's Mill Gazette podcast. We will link to the exact episode that has their new interview with Mackenzie Lentz. Just go to our show notes page, underthedomeradio.com slash 37, and we'll have the link for that so you can learn even more about Mackenzie and a little more about Nori. Well, I'm really excited for next week and this is our spoiler section. So if you don't want to know about next week, go ahead and turn us down for about a minute or two. Nah, 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 nah. I'm not listening. But uh, the big news for next week is of course that Jack Bender is going to be back directing awakening. And that's of course, good news for me because anything Jack Bender does seems to be one of the better episodes of the season. And after this, giving us so much new information, I think we're only in for a special treat again next week. So from the CBS press release, Barbie turns to his father for help only to realize he may not be trustworthy. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, Brett Cullen does return as Don Barbara, Barbie's father. So when Barbie enlists his father's help to reach out to Julia, he realizes that Don 
may know more about the dome than he's letting on, which is kind of tying into all the listeners and how they think things are going to be going on with this Actian energy and being behind the dome. Meanwhile, Big Jim appoints himself sheriff of Chester's Mill. Go figure. Didn't see that one coming a million miles away. So monarch, mayor, selectman, sheriff. He's building up quite a resume while everybody else is trapped under the dome. You've got preacher, savior. Oh, that's true. Genocide plotter. Prayer leader. Coach. You know, we all do it for the team. So, wow, Big Jim, you just keep on carrying on because that type of Big Jim stuff is one of the things that is still like in the book. Uh, If you listen or read the book, uh, you'll see what we mean in a in a interesting fashion now in the requests and dedication section uh, we got a propane donation from the land of the rising sun aka japan i love it fantastic a thank you so much for the propane donation to help keep the station running here at under the dome radio that's from under the dome radio listener community member krista and she said it was okay to share her name as well as this message and this cracks me up. She says, although no voicemails, I also do give you guys my listener feedback every week, but I guess you can't hear me talking to you while I'm listening to the podcast in the car. Whenever Troy says Andrea is a hoarder, I exclaim, no, Troy, she's not a hoarder. Her husband was a survivalist and those are two totally different things. And every time you say, speaking of Wayne, hmm, Troy, I didn't think of that. After Troy just spent five minutes on some deep theory, I say, well, join the crowd because we didn't think of that either. Heck, I'm not even sure we understood what Troy just said. Flashback to his Zodiac theory in episode two. Boy, that was deep. Anyway, one day I will take the time to record my feedback and that way we can actually hear Krista's voice uh, since we can't hear her through her radio. Uh, Krista finishes up. Keep up the good work. I'll keep sending fuel. I donate a heck of a lot more to my political candidates and don't get near the value from them. Dear friend, Krista, thank you so much. That is hilarious. And we definitely putting the propane donation to good use here at under the dome radio. Uh, Troy, what do you think of that? Yeah, that Zodiac theory. I pulled that one out of thin air. I think I listened back to that and I was like, I don't even understand what I'm saying. (laughs) Uh, That's probably why I said, Hmm, Troy, Mm, I didn't think of that. I don't know about that one. (laughs) That's great stuff. Love Krista. Thanks so much again for sponsoring the podcast this season. And hopefully we do get to hear your dulcet tones on a recording of your own. All the way from Japan. How amazing is that? That's another country. I can't wait to visit someday. Yeah. We had Japan, the Philippines, Norway, the UK, South Africa. How about all you guys in the States? The best way to go ahead and help out the show is to head on over to under the dome radio.com slash iTunes. We really want to hear what you guys think. More importantly, all of these awesome fans that are giving feedback each week, they want to know what you think about their feedback as well. You can actually leave a review for them right in the iTunes store. Just go ahead and drop a five-star rating and review right there under the dome radio.com slash iTunes. Even if you listen to the show another way, just head on out there. Go ahead and leave the review. We greatly appreciate it. And of course, all these great fans would love to know what you think of their thoughts and theories as well. Please, please do. In fact, even if you're you have an iOS device, iPhone, iPad, something like that, with the official Apple Podcast app, you can do everything Troy just told you and suggested to do right there 
within the podcast app. You can do it right on your phone. In fact, you could probably, if you speak clearly, use Siri to do it. That would be really interesting. Almost talking futuristically into a computer that's not connected to the internet. <laughs> Troy, that's an interesting theory. Mm, Wayne, I didn't think of that. <laughs> Oh, and of course, we want to make sure that you help out to the show just like Krista did. Those propane donations are most certainly needed. So go ahead and head over to the right-hand sidebar there. You can choose one day, one week, or all-time power. Just help out the show. Go ahead and submit that. We'll put it to good use in order to make sure we have these great fan episodes continuing on through the rest of Season 2 and beyond if we're lucky for a Season 3. And of course, we love connecting with the entire Domi and Domehead community just head on over to underthedomeradio.com. All the social links are at the top. Facebook, Twitter, Google+, TuneIn, iHeart, Stitcher, you name it, it's there. Go ahead and click on any of those links, and we'll be sure to interact with you. And again, show notes for this episode, underthedomeradio.com slash 37. to Leave your comments on anything you heard here this evening. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day or night or whether you're sitting there just saying eating, sleeping and muttering Melanie. Thank you again for spending some time also listening to Under the Dome Radio. Share your thoughts and theories for the next episode of the podcast. Again, just visit underthedomeradio.com slash feedback for all the juicy details. Until that next episode, I'm Wayne Henderson. And I'm at Troy Heinrichs. And we'll see you as we stay on this side trapped under the dome. Under the Dome Radio. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Get organized in your personal and professional life. Laugh with our clean comedy. Theorize over great television shows and so much more. All waiting for you at noodle.mx.